Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about lung cancer. If you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash lungcancer or in the respiratory section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Lung cancer is the third most common cancer in the UK and that's behind breast and prostate cancer. And cigarette smoking is the biggest cause and around 80% of lung cancers are thought to be preventable if the person didn't smoke cigarettes. So let's talk briefly about the three main types. There's non-small cell lung cancer and the two types of non-small cell lung cancer are squamous cell carcinoma, which accounts for about 35% of lung cancers, and adenocarcinoma, which accounts for about 25% of lung cancers. Then there's small cell lung cancer, which accounts for about 20% of lung cancers. And small cell lung cancers contain neurosecretory granules. So these are the cells of the small cell lung cancer that contain granules that can be released to secrete neuroendocrine hormones into the blood. So these are any type of hormones that are responsible for stimulating the nervous system or stimulating the tissues of the body. And this means that small cell lung cancer can be responsible for a number of different paraneoplastic syndromes, and we'll talk about those later. So what are the signs and symptoms of lung cancer? Some of them are quite non-specific, like shortness of breath and cough, but there's also some real red flags for lung cancer, and that's things like hemoptysis, or coughing up blood, finger clubbing, recurrent pneumonias, weight loss, and lymphadenopathy, and the most commonly affected nodes are the supraclavicular nodes, which you can palpate above the clavicle, and they're the first ones that you'll find on examination. What investigations do you do? Well, a chest x-ray is the first line investigation if you suspect there might be lung cancer, and findings that are suggestive of cancer are things like hyalur enlargement, peripheral opacities, so a specific lesion that you can see within a lung field, Pleural effusions, which are usually unilateral related to the cancer. And collapse of a lung, where the cancer is blocking the airway and causing the lung tissue to collapse in the areas of lung beyond that lung cancer. The next investigation that you do after a chest x-ray, if you find something that's quite suggestive of a lung cancer, is a CT scan. And you can actually do a staging CT scan of the chest, the abdomen and the pelvis to look at the stage of the lung cancer, whether it's just local or whether it's spread to the lymph nodes or it's metastasized somewhere else in the body. And this should be a contrast-enhanced CT, which is done using an injected contrast to give a more detailed appearance of the different tissues. You can do a PET CT scan, and PET stands for Positron Emissions Tomography. And these scans involve injecting a radioactive tracer usually which is attached to glucose molecules, and then taking images using a combination of a CT scanner and a gamma ray detector. This is used to visualise how metabolically active various tissues are. So more metabolically active tissues will take up that radioactive glucose molecule and show up on the gamma ray. And so the scan lights up with areas of increased metabolic activity, which might suggest cancer in those areas. Another investigation which is very important is a bronchoscopy and this is done by putting a camera on a tube down the person's 
trachea and into their airways to look for different areas of the airways that might be affected. And it can be done using something called an endobronchial ultrasound or an EBUS. And this ultrasound on the end of the scope allows for a detailed assessment of the tumour and the area around the tumour and they can actually do an ultrasound-guided biopsy during the endoscopy using this technique. And finally, it's important to get a histological diagnosis. And this is where you take a tissue of the cancer and look at them under a microscope and decide what type of histology they are, whether this is a small cell lung cancer, adenocarcinoma, or squamous cell carcinoma. Getting a histological sample can be done either during the bronchoscopy or it can be done through the skin percutaneously through the chest wall. So what are the treatment options? Well, all treatments need to be discussed at a specialist multidisciplinary team meeting involving various consultants and specialists such as pathologists, surgeons, oncologists and radiologists. And this is to make a joint decision about what the most suitable options are for that individual patient. Surgery is generally offered first line in non-small cell lung cancer to patients that have disease in a single area, and the intention is to actually cure the cancer. Lobectomy involves removing one lung lobe that contains the tumour, and that's the first-line treatment. Segmentectomy, or wedge resection, involves taking a segment or a wedge of lung that has the tumour in it, and that's also an option. Radiotherapy can also be curative in non-small cell lung cancer when it's early enough. Chemotherapy can be offered in addition to surgery or in addition to radiotherapy in certain patients where that might improve the outcome. And this is known as adjuvant chemotherapy, adjuvant meaning as well as. Or it could be offered as part of palliative treatment as palliative chemotherapy to improve the survival or the quality of life in patients with later stages of non small cell lung cancer. The treatment for small cell lung cancer is usually a combination of chemotherapy and radiotherapy, although the prognosis is generally worse for small cell lung cancer compared with non-small cell lung cancer. Endobronchial treatment with stents or debulking, and this is using a bronchoscopy to do procedures during the scoping procedure, so putting a stent in or debulking the tumour that's blocking the airway can be used as part of a palliative treatment to relieve bronchial obstruction caused by the lung cancer. Let's talk about extrapulmonary manifestations. Lung cancer is associated with quite a lot of extrapulmonary manifestations and paraneoplastic syndromes. And these are linked to different types and distributions of lung cancer. And they're quite a common exam question that you might come across regarding what could be the underlying cause. Sometimes they can actually be the first evidence that there is a lung cancer present in otherwise asymptomatic patients. So let's go through a few. Recurrent laryngeal nerve palsy usually presents with a hoarse voice and this is caused by the cancer pressing on or affecting the recurrent laryngeal nerve as it passes through the mediastinum and this affects the ability of the vocal cords to produce good sounds and results in a hoarse voice. Phrenic nerve palsy is due to nerve compression on the phrenic nerve and this causes diaphragm weakness and presents with shortness of breath. Superior vena cava obstruction is also a complication of lung cancer 
and this is caused by direct compression of the tumour on the superior vena cava. And this presents with facial swelling, difficulty breathing, and distended veins in the neck and the upper chest. There's something called Pemberton's sign that might be worth remembering for your exams. And this is where raising the hands above the head causes facial congestion and cyanosis. And this condition of superior vena cava obstruction is a medical emergency, so they should be admitted straight to hospital. Horner syndrome is a triad of partial ptosis, and this is partial drooping of the eyelid, anhydrosis, which is the loss of sweating on that side of the face, and meiosis, which is excessive constriction of the pupil in that eye. And this is caused by a pancos tumour. And a pancos tumour is a tumour at the pulmonary apex right at the top of the lung. And when that presses on the sympathetic ganglion, it causes this Horner syndrome. Syndrome of inappropriate ADH or SIADH can be caused by ectopic ADH or antidiuretic hormone that's secreted by a small cell lung cancer. And this presents with hyponatremia or low sodium. Cushing syndrome can be caused by ectopic ACTH, which is secreted by a small cell lung cancer. Hypercalcemia can be caused by ectopic parathyroid hormone, and this can be secreted by a squamous cell carcinoma of the lung. And it's the only real paraneoplastic syndrome that's caused by anything other than the small cell lung cancer. Limbic encephalitis is another paraneoplastic syndrome where the small cell lung cancer causes the immune system to make antibodies to the tissues in the brain, specifically the limbic system, and causes inflammation in these areas. And this causes symptoms such as short-term memory loss, hallucinations, confusion and seizures. And it's associated with anti-HU or HU antibodies. And finally, something called Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome. And this is the last paraneoplastic syndrome we'll talk about. So Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome is a result of antibodies produced by the immune system against the small cell lung cancer cells. But these antibodies also target and damage the voltage-gated calcium channels that are sited on the presynaptic terminals of motor neurons. So where the motor neurons go into the muscles and give a stimulus to the muscle to contract, they have voltage-gated calcium channels on their presynaptic terminals and the antibodies damage these. And this leads to weakness, particularly in the proximal muscles, but it can also affect the intraocular muscles of the eye and cause double vision, which we call diplopia. It can affect the levator muscles in the eyelid and cause ptosis or eyelid drooping. And it can affect the pharyngeal muscles in the pharynx, causing slurred speech and dysphagia or difficulty swallowing. This weakness tends to get worse with prolonged use of the muscles and improves with a lot of rest. And this syndrome is quite similar to myasthenia gravis, although the symptoms tend to be a little bit more insidious and less pronounced in Lambert-Eaton syndrome. So if you have somebody who's an old smoker with symptoms of Lambert-Eaton syndrome, consider a diagnosis of small cell lung cancer. The final thing we'll talk about is mesothelioma. And mesothelioma is a lung malignancy 
that affects the mesothelial cells of the pleura, so the lining of the lung. It's strongly associated with asbestos inhalation, and we don't really see mesothelioma in any other scenario other than in somebody who's been exposed to asbestos. There's a huge latent period between the exposure to asbestos and the development of mesothelioma, and this can be up to 45 years. The prognosis of mesothelioma is very poor, and chemotherapy can improve survival a little bit, but it's essentially palliative. So thanks for listening to this episode on lung cancer. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with your colleagues so that it can help them with their revision too. And if you want to help me out, I'd love it if you could give me a review, if you haven't already, on the iTunes store or whichever podcast app you use. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on pneumonia.